Hi, I'm Taylor. And I'm Angela. And this is PaymentWorks Presents the Risky Business Podcast. Music. All right, Taylor, the guest on this episode is someone you go way back with professionally, anyway, for several years here at PaymentWorks. It's Jen Glassman, who's had a variety of high-level procurement roles in higher, mostly in the public sector, higher education and healthcare. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about about Jen? Well, I don't know if I know her full background, but she started, or at least when I was aware of her, she was at University of California, San Diego. And then I met her at some point, I guess she must have moved to the East Coast because I met her at Howard Hughes Medical Institute, which is a massive, I think I have that right, HHMI, um, a massive research institute down in Bethesda, Maryland, right outside of DC. And we met her as part of the sales process. And it was very clear, you know, she was kind of driving that opportunity from their end and was kind of trying to get her peers to sort of think a little more futuristic than um, than I think they were. And so we got to know her pretty well and kept in touch with her there. She ended up moving to University of Virginia, which is a fantastic customer of ours and um, in a procurement role and was was really instrumental in implementing a new payment strategy for the university that was um, really neat and, and um, again, sort of forward thinking and a little bit ahead of her peers. It was something that I don't think we had seen much in the industry, but I think it took off pretty well. And then she did some consulting for us and helped us get some of our stuff off the ground. So she's been she's been fantastic and is, is a wealth of knowledge for us. Mm, it's safe to say we're fans. It's true. Yeah. And I think you hit on it several times, like forward thinking, I've always been impressed by how Jen sees the role of procurement um, in serving the mission of the organization she works for and how it can do better than just the task oriented buying and paying for things. And she touches on that in this in this podcast. And as you know, PaymentWorks is dedicated right now to shining a light on vendor management and elevating it as an important strategic function and not as data entry. And Jen is one of the first people I met out there in the world who seemed to get that even before we did. Yeah. She also, she talked a little bit about, um, which I found interesting. Like we talk a lot about payment fraud risk, but she was uh, related it back to uh, a payment optimization strategy. And it essentially was, was discussing how, you know, if you're successful in this one thing, which is getting towards electronic payments, it creates a whole nother level of risk. And and not only the electronic payments, but the automation piece too. Like the quicker you go and the more you automate it and the more you put it in vendors' hands, you know, the, the more inherent risk you have. And talked a little bit about how different parts of her organizations that she's been in have have viewed that risk or defined it differently, which I, I found pretty interesting. Yes. And I think that hits on another thing we care a lot about here, which is breaking down silos. When we talk about vendor management and the integrity of the supplier file data. There's really not a part of an organization this doesn't affect. You know, you have finance, you have risk, you have procurement, you have business owners, you have audit, you have all these things. And Jen talks about how to get them all at the table and how to get them all to care about something that most people have historically considered typing and not something bigger than that. So I was very excited um, to get to talk to her for this episode. Well, one of my favorite questions whenever we're talking to 
you know, a customer or prospect or anybody about this is, you know, who owns vendor management at your institution or your organization. And it's always sort of funny because as you said, it sort of touches everybody. And and the reality is it's spread all over the place. So it does take someone who's uh, kind of willing to corral all the different people and constituents involved to make sure that you have a good process in place. And it's a really hard thing to do. Um, but, but Jen's done it a few times. So it is a really hard thing to do. So kudos. So here we go. This week's episode of Risky Business with Jen Glassman. Thank you, Jen. Welcome to PaymentWorks Presents Risky Business. I am very excited today to be talking with you, Jen. We've had many offline conversations about vendor management and procurement and the role it plays, and I'm excited to have one on the record here. But so I don't butcher your incredibly storied career. Can you introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about your experience? Yes, absolutely. Glad to be here, Angela, um, today. I have worked in the higher ed uh, public government sector for over 20 years, um, primarily supporting procure to pay or some people know it as source to settle. Um, and I've been in various leadership roles, uh, ranging from business systems and IT leadership uh, to procurement uh, leadership with one of my more recent roles being the director of procurement at the University of Virginia. So very excited um, to talk about this space with you today. Me too. We Our relationship goes from you being a prospect at one institution to being a customer at another institution to now being a consultant all in the space. So our, you have uh, many different angles on what we do and many different angles on how to solve the problems we're going to talk about today. So 25 years in a space, some uh, in industries that some would regard as challenging to work in because, well, do <laughs> we have to say why? The the uh, distributed procurement environment in those atmospheres, all the different folks that are touching, the bureaucracy perhaps of layers in public institutions. So I really need to know what, what motivates you professionally when you go into somewhere like UVA or the other places you work, UCSD, what, um, what opportunities are attractive in this space and what makes you feel like, yeah, I can, I can, I can kill that and this will be what a job well done looks like? Yeah, it's a good question. It, it really is um, in such a, you said distributed, I, I tend to also use the other D word decentralized, right? So you have many hats, many bosses, you know, um, lots of uh, consensus driven, you know, uh, work that you're doing, um, a lot of stakeholders with a lot of different, you know, goals. And so I think for me, you know, personally, and what I've noticed about the different teams that I've worked with is, is sort of an, an attraction to how to create a process or series of processes that will be able to live in such a decentralized environment, you know, this way of stitching together things and connecting dots. And it's, it's quite the puzzle and, you know, not many people solve it. Not, and some people think they've solved it, but it's not really the best outcome. So, so being able to come in to an organization and work with people to problem solve and clean up processes in, the, in this very complex structure um, was sort of this end vision of, let's just make it simple. It shouldn't be hard to buy things. It shouldn't be hard to pay for things. These are really simple processes. They've been solved in the consumer world for years, right? So how close can we get to that, knowing that we do have tons of constraints that are not visible on the surface, right? Um, so that's, that's what's attractive to me. The job well done is 
the simplification. It is reducing those steps. It is creating automation that isn't just surface level appearance rhetoric of simplicity, but actual simplicity. Even if it, you know, doesn't get the starry highlights, right? If we can, if we can get a process or a series of processes that alleviates significant time, energy investment, you know, across the university or across the institution, um, you know, to me, that's, that's what I'm shooting for. That's the metric that tells me that it's been, you know, successful, at least in my book. I love how you just said across the institution, in your case, a university. I think often the, the silos that exist in any sort of business environment uh, prevent people from seeing how what they're doing can impact the larger good, even oh, yeah. if it doesn't like benefit their bottom line. The whole organization should be caring about the same bottom line. So I love that that was part of your definition of how you would measure your success. Um, so let's let's talk about some actual examples then from your time on how you were able to implement something that simplified. I love that idea too. Like this is this is not rocket science here. We're trying to buy things and pay for things, but in that mm-hmm. environment and how you were able to measure or capture the success across organizationally. Because I think a lot of folks sitting in procurement seats want to have that impact and don't always see a clear way to do it. Yeah, you know, you asked for an example. I mean, there it's everywhere I've ever been, they've there've literally been opportunities littered, you know, all over the place. You know, so there is that that part that's, you know, me at least and the teams that I've worked with in, in terms of picking our battles and, you know, the um the how much of a win are we gonna get versus how hard is it gonna be to imp- implement, in other words, the complexity. Um, so there's a whole range of, of, of um, good ones I could dive into. I mean, we, we are talking ultimately about, about vendor management here. So, I mean, one of the more recent examples and, and something we did at UVA was overhaul our, um, you know, our, our supplier registration or our vendor registration process. And um, I'll be honest, we were not one of the institutions that was coming from paper. Um, and so, you know, we had actually we'd already been through the sort of amazing low hanging fruit of going from paper to an automated system. But what we did have was a lot of amazing lessons learned in terms of usability on an existing electronic registration system. And what we knew we wanted to improve going into this, you know, this next level, which, which was our, you know, vendor registration process that we set up in PaymentWorks. Um, and so we were very, I, I'm sure the payment works implementation team has not forgotten us because we were, we were very picky and had a very clear idea of the problems that we wanted to improve upon. And so we really just sat there and scrutinized our registration form and said, okay, you know, why are we asking this question? And we did that for every single question. We were very rigorous and if we found that the data, the, the data we were collecting in each of those questions wasn't being, there was no action being taken or there was no analytic being run or planned to be run, or we felt like the data was likely to become stale, then we said, you know what, we're not going to collect it up front. Let's, let's, let's clean, you know, let's really be practical about what we're asking people to fill out and refill out. I want to interrupt you with an amen at this <laughs> moment. There there are so many people who the answer to these questions would be because we've always done it that way. And that sort of stymies any sort of innovation. If you don't know what's behind it, you're almost afraid to change it. 
the way UVA went line by line with the stakeholders. And when you had to call uncle, I don't know why we're collecting it. You were forced to admit it wasn't the best use of anyone's time. I love it. Well, yeah. And I mean, just to reflect on that, you know, that that's a matter of, um, you know, because people want to hold on to things that they're used to. And sometimes, you know, the institutional knowledge is lost as to why data or field had existed. And then, you know, you, you, you go on, you get rid of it, right? <laughs> and you find out you really needed it, right? So that's also the scary part, right? So we tried to be very specific about the questions we were asking and if we, and tried to also create an environment of trust of like, number one, it's okay if you don't know how this field has been used. We have ways to hunt down that answer. So this is just, you know, it's like kind of creating that environment for people to be flexible, be a little bit more flexible in how they were thinking about things. Um, be okay with saying, I don't know. And, and, you know, we just, we just want to be rigorous. We wanted to look at it as objectively as possible. So we, we really cared about what our vendor desk management people had to say. We made them the center of the story. They had a ton of subject matter expertise, but we also needed to talk to our data people. Um, you know, people who are more familiar with the various types of compliance reports and state reports and just different things we, we sometimes use that data for. We had to talk to our supplier diversity team. We had to talk to our payables team. And we had to make them all feel part of, of the process. And again, not be afraid of letting certain things go once we established that we weren't using them anymore or that we could get them somewhere else. So um, yeah, I just want to emphasize it's, it really was about process, you know, pro- asking the right questions um, and not allowing, to your point, the question of, because we've always done it this way, not allowing that to be the end of the end of the dialogue, you know. Um, so it was, it's great. You know, I think I'm, I'm particularly, uh, was pleased with the outcome of the, um, of the experience for individuals who are registering as opposed to corporations or larger suppliers. I think we, we had some wins there in streamlining that, the prop, that, that registration process. So it was, it was pretty, pretty exciting for us. You mentioned a lot of teams that were involved in this. One of, you know, one of my personal OKRs for 2023 is to elevate the status of vendor onboarding and management. So a whole organization appreciates how important it is. And when you start listing off the organizations that it touches, and that's not everything, every single person organization does anything with a vendor should care about how they're onboarding their vendor, right? So I love how you brought everybody in. And I think you've hit on something that's really important and that is affecting change. And what you did um, with your most recent time, and I know you did other organizations as well, is using the vendor onboarding process to affect change organization-wide, seeing, making the diversity folks see how it would benefit them, making the um, financial folks see how it would benefit them. So once an organization is all on board with that, and once they all have confidence that this vendor data is clean, this vendor is set up, I'm supposed to be doing business with them, they're not on a department list, um, we're paying them the way we want to pay them, like what I don't know, what, what are you freed up to do as an organization when you don't have to worry about, is it good data or not? Is this good vendor info? Yeah, that's, that's, it's almost like, what do we do now, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's such an um, elevation, right? It's such an elevation of the process. Um, you know, the automation is fantastic. And, you know, I don't get to say that. I can't say that I get to say that about every process that's ever been automated because some processes are automated with a ton of strings attached, right? Um, And I would say that the vendor registration process isn't 
total, it's not hands-free, right? It just, it really is hands-free with that key entry, uh, data key entry. And one of my favorite things that sometimes gets over, maybe doesn't get emphasized enough, I should say, is that, you know, someone is doing the key entry ultimately, but to me, it's finally in the place where you, the hands of the person or the group of people you would trust the most with who should be entering that data. And that's the supplier or the vendor. I'm sorry, I use those two words interchangeably, but uh, the bottom line is who, if, if you would just, you know, take, take a moment and think about who would be the best suited to enter in where they want their, you know, payments to go, what type of payment they want to receive, what's the right address, what's the right contact information. Do we, you know, sending it for, for decades, right? We've, we've had that be typically been a form um, and, and had someone else fill it out. And that's just rife with so, so many issues of, of you just worry about straight up inaccuracy, but then you layer on, you know, the, the concern around fraud and it just gets, it gets unbearable. That situation gets unbearable, right? And so moving that key entry to the supplier and saying, here's the ownership for, for you, not trying to give them more work, but trying to give them the right work, you know, have them be vested in this process, have them trust how their payment information is being handled as well by being part of that, that flow, right? Not to mention that they're very incentivized to do it because they're going to get business with us, right? So, so moving that over has been huge. And then that what that does is it, you know, to your original question, it it allows us to, to kind of reimagine, you know, the quote unquote vendor desk. And there's a number of like avenues that that can that can take it really, you know, first and foremost depends on the talent, you know, that the an organization or institution has and realistically what you can do with that talent in the here and now, and then how you might envision it later. Um, maybe as, as time goes on, you know, and, and you have different resources at the different team players in the involved, but, you know, you have, you have options with that vendor desk, um, team or person. Sometimes it's only a person of one, right. Um, where you can really turn that more into an auditing function. Um, you can have that align. I've seen it align well with the 1099 sort of tax support services and processes that are typically run. I've also seen it align well with an entry level business analyst role, you know, someone who is scrutinizing to a certain degree data and, and troubleshooting may be able to take that leap into other systems and process design work in the future. So I've seen it, you know, be a very, very good thing there. Um, the other reality is that sometimes when you're troubleshooting problems associated with vendor registration and some of the downstream processes that PaymentWorks is involved in, or any, it would it's would apply to any solution. Um, you need you need to have a really you have to have a comfort level with the technology. You don't need, and so that's where if you see that in, in a, you know an organization sees that in their talent pool naturally, that, that's where that business analyst you know um, avenue is certainly possible. Um, I know I was exploring both those options that I just mentioned at UVA, and I was also kind of trying to rethink how I did general audit in the organization internally meaning trying to perhaps centralize and organize um, all of our different auditing processes we would naturally do against our, um, our controls. And I thought, you know, it, it could graduate to that. It could. Um, like 
many others, you really have to have your resources aligned to make that possible to realize that vision. And finally, you know, another thing I thought of that that uh, works really well sometimes for some organizations is the vendor desk can sometimes start to pick up some work around customer excellence and customer support. I know a lot of institutions are investing in CRM solutions like a ServiceNow, like a Salesforce. And so you have these um, requests coming in that maybe historically went into shared email boxes or to the individual, but they're being captured on a case and they're being supported. And that's another potential vein that, or avenue, I should say, that uh, the vendor desk can, you know, potentially pick up and do it. I feel like I could talk to you for an hour about each of these potential mm-hmm. yes. um, avenues, because what's happening right now is really shifting more towards, I think, towards the an- the analyst mindset when it comes to mm-hmm. vendor onboarding and management. It was traditionally data entry, but this is when things came in the mail and someone opened them right. up and input them. And compliance and fraud was not front of the mind. When we shift to an email world and really over just like the past 10 years, when it's almost entirely that way, I know it seems like we've been in email for 30 years, but when it comes to vendor yeah. onboarding, people were still faxing things. Some, somewhere someone is still faxing something. I promise. I agree. I agree. <laughs> the the fax, I so, totally agree with you. I think there's, um, I think if we talk again in 10 years, they're all going to be analysts. So to sort of plant the seed in folks' minds, that this is not that entry. I I am really considering a bumper sticker that says vendor management is not data entry. Not data entry. Not data entry. Because listen to all the things you just listed. If you have a person sitting in that role who has some sort of authority and some sort of larger worldview than mm-hmm. input, they understand output. Imagine how much more valuable that seat now is to an organization. And you and I have talked about a lot of things that it frees up an organization to do. And I'll, let's talk about, I mean, this is not just a plug for Paymorks. I promise you can do this without Paymorks, but let's talk about like when you feel good about that data and the person sitting there understands uh, a payable strategy, for instance, what does that mean to an organization like UVA or like the other places that you worked? Yeah. I mean, when you're, when you're, when you feel confident, you know, when I felt started to feel very confident about our vendor data being secure. Um, And it's not just that it was secure, it was secure in an automated space, right? Um, Like I I needed to feel that I could successfully make automated payments without incurring loads of risk. And load risk the way I would define it, but also risk the way treasury might define it, the way risk the way IT would define it, risk the way our risk unit would define it, right? So I I, um, and they might not have been used to this in the past, but I invited them in and said, help me shore up the risk because this is what I want to do with payments. I want to, I want to make them completely automated. Right. Um, and so you just want to feel confident because, you know, organizations, um, can, you know, we, we can, we can and do spend millions of dollars, you know, and, and that's flowing through payments. And so you really just never want to be sweating. Um, when you're sending an automated payment that is to the tune of a million dollars or $5 million or $10 million. And they can really get up there when you start to factor in um, construction payments and, and some of those larger equipment purchases and larger services contracts. And so if you really are saying, I want to be as close to 100% electronic payments, you have, you know, you just have to have a very strong 
confidence um, across your organization that automated the automated payments can be uh, can be done securely. And so once you really establish that, you have that confidence. Um, the way that that I had started to have at UVA, then you can really start um, opening up the conversation around how do we do automated payments and, and what is exactly does that mean? And you know, are we just gonna sort of give it away, you know, and just say, hey, guess what, suppliers, surprise, we're going to start sending stuff electronically, we're going to simplify, or you start to build um, more of a strategic program around that, that looks at ways to earn revenue for that service. Do you look at ways that you can speed up your cash flow cycle, speed up the way that the timeliness of your payments? Um, Because again, you're automated, you're dropping money into accounts as opposed to mailing checks. Um, and so that's, that was, you know, the vision, right? It was make it all electronic, speed up the timeline vastly, and then go out to our supplier community and say, how valuable is this to you? Um, you know, do we, do, if we speed this up and we can get cash in your pocket sooner, um, what is, what is that, what is that worth to you, right? In terms of just creating value um, and, and all that. So that's, that was really one of the biggest things I think that I was you know, sizing up as an opportunity. And the other area when you're automating is again, we kind of touched on this when we talked about the vendor, the vendor desk people and their future paths, but it really is in, in this era of just heightening fraud, it's just getting so sophisticated. It's incredible. Like what we're seeing um, in terms of attempts on fraud ranging from all, just all across the procure to pay and expense spectrum. But by automating, not only are you shoring up some of that risk right there in that process, but you're also, again, creating bandwidth to say, you know what, let's invest in a role and in some supporting technology to have better analytics, better oversight of all of our activities. Um, and and that, that's just something that just gets drowned out um, historically when you're just dealing on so many fronts with so many different processes that are either only partially automated or not automated at all, and you don't really have those efficiencies. And so you can't even like step back and breathe and, and think about the audit that you maybe really need to pay a lot more attention to now because the environment is just demanding it, right, of, of all of us. Well, you you used my one of my least favorite words, uh, which is risk, just because it means all the things that you named. You named yeah. like five different types of risk that all can be tied to vendor management, vendor onboarding, the vendor master file itself. So I... I think key to any organization, at least this is what I'm taking from our conversation, who wants to move forward with the uh, strategic importance of that vendor file cross campus, Mm -hmm. cross business, is that cross functional definition of something to how it relates to all. Like risk means what Mm -hmm. to IT when it comes to vendor management, it means what to finance. It means what to risk. It means what to compliance. It, there's also like a PR angle here. Um, mm-hmm. And it could be as simple as like wanting to support historically underutilized businesses and having a directive and then not meeting it. That's that's a risk to what you yeah. committed to, to, to the world. So I love that all those people sat at the table and probably did look around like, what is the procurement person yeah. <laughs> asking, asking me about uh, automated payments for? So I would imagine that's one of your recommendations for like best practices in this sort of change management. Can can you give us any more around how to get those people at the table and sing in the same tune? Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest, I 
I don't know. I, over the years with those folks, they all have their own verticals that are important to them. And then they all share like a component of the process that, you know, so I sort of view vendor management, vendor management processes like a crossroads of many other processes. So, you know, I, I want them, it's not so much, I want them to sing the exact same tune. I kind of want them to harmonize <laughs> just going with that metaphor, right? It's like a four five part harmony. That's it. But I also want them to know that um, <laughs> I think the thing that I've noticed that gets the, the best type of engagement from people is, is reminding them or maybe telling them sometimes for the first time that they are the business owner and that they have accountability of that, that process and that part of the process and that the decisions that, that get made are their decisions to make. And that's, that's a tough pill for some people to swallow especially in decentralized organizations. Um, you know, there's, it just, it's sort of, sometimes it's like, well, who made the decision? Well, we made the decision, right? Like it's just, you know, and a general discomfort sometimes with owning a decision. And there's certainly a way to, a way to go about clear, clearing that up with people. But I, I, I learned, you know, I've just learned over the years that they, they have to own it. They have to decide and then when they make that decision, you know, there's sort of the, what I, uh, team, teams in the past have called it like process guardianship. So that sort of person who's facilitating, you know, an overarching excellent process that, that you want, you know, they have to be the one to say, I respect what you're saying, but that's going to create some problems with efficiency. How do we talk, how do we talk through that? Right. And it's, it's through giving them ownership, giving them a voice and telling them that, you know, we're, we're going to record these decisions as officially in your shop. Right. But also once you kind of get to the, the decisions, you know, it's, it's, it's building enough culture and enough um, trust around the process to say, Hey, you know, we, we've got to be realistic with what we're doing. I don't know if I'm answering your question in the most straight ahead direction, but it, it's, it's a little, it is a little, you know, complex sometimes getting them all to, to care, you know, getting them all to have, and it's, that's probably not the best way to say it. What I mean is just getting them to step outside of their, their, all their other priorities and their verticals of interest and saying like, Hey, let's sit down together at least a few times and look at the overarching process so that you all have awareness to what, how you all actually work together. Um, and that's probably one of the bigger themes, right? And it, it's very, very true with vendor management is that there's very few people in an organization who think across verticals, who think essentially I'm going like this horizontally. Um, so I think when they feel like they realize it hits each business owner, oh, I have a voice. Oh, I do have to make a decision. That's usually when I see the, the, the eyes light up, you know, like, okay, I'm here. I'm focused. I, I know I owe, I have a deliverable. I owe something. No, there's more psychology involved in procurement than I was aware of <laughs> before this call. But I do, I do want to sort of wrap it back around to um, the the way a tool or the way a process, um, even if it's absent of a tool, can um, elevate the entire function for all of all of those stakeholders. And I think you just the the turn of phrase you said that made me think about it was um, who are we serving. In the end, and I think if you're in the public sector, it's kind of an easy answer, right? Because although they're vendors and they're doing work for you, and you're paying them, it's student tuition or it's taxpayer money, or there's a there's a different relationship, I think, with suppliers in the public sector than there might be in the private industry. I don't know that I'm speculating at the moment, but who we serve is either the students or the taxpayers, right? And one of the ways you serve them is by allowing business to move at the speed it needs to move by creating a process that doesn't get in the way of that. 
Right. I mean, and you went at, to the very tippity top, right? Like the 500,000 foot level. I mean, I think that's, that's great to remember. I think I've noticed what resonates with teens is, is maybe one level down of that in terms of who we serve is a lot of times we're serving, you know, we're serving research at research institutions, science discovery. Um, we are serving uh, to your point, students and student education again in higher ed, but every organization has a mission. And one of my favorite things about procurement is that it's, in my opinion, the administrative process that most closely supports the direct mission because a direct mission requires goods. It requires services. It requires suppliers and good relationships with suppliers. It requires good contracts, right? And people can't move forward. They can't move whatever they're contributing to the mission forward without those things. And so the last thing you want in the vendor management process is a supplier who's so frustrated with, you know, trying to get paid or trying to just simply set up a contract or just, you know, get to the page where they can log in, where they can fill out their registration form. All of that is hours that accumulates into days that really dwindles, you know, the ability for the institution to fulfill you know, it's, it's mission. And I think when people, it's easy to, you know, it's very easy for everyone, you know, me obviously included, right? Like it's easy for us to just, you know, get caught up in our task management our email inbox and stuff like that. But when we're sitting down and thinking about these processes and trying to make a commitment or investment and changing them, you know, or improving them, it's like, how fast can we make it right? Realistically, knowing that we have constraints, knowing that we have compliance and we have risk, right? Like, like, how do we just, thread that needle because at the end of the day, we want a supplier or vendor or payee to register quickly, you know, to get to the stage of the contract negotiation, um, to get the purchase order out and then the goods and services engaged and to get fast payment. That's, that's what we want. That's, that's a, that's a job well done. You know, that's, that's what we're shooting for. That was beautiful. Uh, thank you very much for spending this time with me and sharing your thoughts. There's a lot of happening in the macro environment, a lot of pressure yes. on vendor management at the moment. So we might have to come back and see uh, how the year's going down the road. Oh yeah, that would be great. I would welcome that. A big thank you to Jen Glassman for taking the time to speak with me. I really like this podcast and this guest in contrast to my previous guest, who was the anonymous vendor desk manager, Michelle. Michelle is a great example of what happens when you don't have someone thinking the way Jen recommended one think about vendor management as a function to support payment initiatives and risk initiatives and career growth. So thank you again so much, Jen. And we'll be back very soon with another episode of Risky Business.